every humiliation which stood in his way could be swept aside by this simple act of annihilation. Murder. Hello everyone, welcome to Exploit It, the show where we talk about exploitation and cult movies. I'm Alexis Jowski. And just like many of our uh, our protagonists, I too lost my mind when writing a book. Oh, we all have. I'm Kevin Daly. <laughs> and this week we're talking about Tenebrae, 1982, directed by Dario Argento. <laughs> I've read all your books, Mr. Neal. The book deals with a murder committed with an old-fashioned open razor, right? This girl, too, was killed with a razor, and your book's pages stuffed into her mouth. Can I ask you something? If someone is killed with a Smith & Wesson revolver, do you go and interview the president of Smith & Wesson? Peter, Peter, you can't let me down now. We're within two days of making a deal. Please, stay just until Friday. My life is in danger. There's no deal in the world worth risking my life for. Not anxiety or fear, but freedom. You wrote those words, page 46. Freedom to strike again, Peter. Listen, don't hang up. We have to talk. You told me how, Peter Neal. You and me together. We've just begun. Get out of here. The guy, the guy, guy has an axe. Could it be somebody I know? Damn. I wish I'd never written that book. You don't mean that. I've made charts. I've tried building a plot the same way you have. Tried to figure it out, but... I just have this hunch that something is missing. A tiny piece of the jigsaw. Somebody who should be dead is alive, or... Somebody who should be alive is already dead. Explain that. You know, there's a sentence in a Conan Doyle book. When you have eliminated the impossible, whatever remains, however improbable, must be the truth.
this was his return to Giallo after he did two Supernatural films. Because right after Deep Red, which we watched before, that's what we did last time. Yep, also excellent. And he, right after that, he did Suspiria and Inferno, which are supernatural horror. And which apparently they, are good. Oh, but, uh, yeah, they are. Especially Suspiria. That's like a classic. We're going to do that sometime. Excellent. But then he went back to regular Giallo with Tenebrae. So the music, technically by Goblin. Yes. It's Claudio Simonetti and a few of the other band members, but it's not the whole band. So they get credited individually instead of as Goblin. Oh, I, I love that. You see, um, you see like Trent Reznor and, uh, I oh, shit, what's his name? The Atticus, uh, I can't remember his last name, the other guy. The only two guys who are actually in Nine Inch Nails, uh, but they're not part of as the band, so they're just credited together. It's like, it's, that's just Nine Inch Nails. That's yeah. More for this. But so, yeah, and like every other Goblin soundtrack, the music in here is awesome. Yep. Very, very classic Goblin, Dario Argento sort of stuff going on here. Yeah, many consider this to be Argento's best. But then again, so many of his films like are considered Argento's best. So take that as you will. (laughs) I'm quite fond of this one. Did you like this one better than Deep Red? I think so. Uh, Yeah, I watched this movie like four times last year by chance. So I'm quite familiar with this movie by this point. This one has a lot going on and I kind of dug the twists and turns. Yep. So we're starring Anthony Franciosa as Peter Neal. Lots of television and movies, but nothing really that's like in our wheelhouse. Looks a little like um, Willem Dafoe at home. He does. He is Willem Dafoe at home. Interesting, though. You know who was originally considered for that role? I believe Christopher Walken was yes. someone they wanted. Christopher Walken. That would have been weird. Well, yeah. <laughs> And then we got Daddy John Saxon as Bulmer, the agent. Yeah, he is definitely the hat daddy in this. Oh, yeah. I love John Saxon. He passed away, unfortunately. Yeah, very pretty recently, actually. July of 2020. Yep. And, <laughs> Not that recently, I guess. Feels recently. I'm surprised we hadn't come across him before because he's in so many classic films. Yeah, how have we so- not? He had to have been in something. We really never had John Saxon. I don't. I don't believe we did. Huh. And then we have Christian Borromeo has the Twinkie Gianni. Yeah. Um, we've seen him before, but not on this show. Oh, what do, what do we watch? <laughs> He's one of the gangsters in Joe D'Amato's The Porno Shop on 7th Avenue. Ah, okay. The movie about the criminals that are hiding out in a porno shop. Yeah. <laughs> I vaguely remember. That was a long time ago we watched that one. We have Daria Nicolodi as Anne. That's Dario Argento's wife, mother of Asia Argento. Yep. She was in Deep Red. She's also the writer of Suspiria. And now before we get into the movie, you can find more of our episodes at exploititpodcast.com. Uh, make sure you follow us on Spotify or Apple, wherever you're listening Give us a like, a rating, or whatever. Tell your friends. Give us a a knife emoji. Yes, knife or axe. Take your pick. Oh, an axe works well. Yeah, um, you can follow us on Instagram at Exploit It Podcast or on Twitter at Podcast Exploit. You can also join our Exploit It Discord. The link is on the website. 
or contact us at exploitedpodcast at gmail.com. So this movie begins with somebody reading a book. And that's fast. In Italian. Yep. Well, no, it's Italian in the wide shots and English in the, the close-ups. Yeah, which is weird. Obviously, they they edited it to have the English text in the close-ups for this particular you know, American release, English release. Oh, yeah. They didn't bother to redo the shots <laughs> from distance. But uh, the passage he's reading, it's from a book called Tenebrae by Peter Neal. And the line is, the impulse had become irresistible. There was only one answer for the fury that tortured him, and so he committed his first act of murder. Every humiliation which stood in his way could be swept aside by this simple act of annihilation. And this person reading it just throws the fucking book onto the fire. And it, it's like, this is garbage. <laughs> yeah, and it just turns on the kick-ass goblin music. I was going to say, cue the goblin score. Yeah, and so we hear that score over the credits, and we just watch this book burn the whole time. Like we're watching a Yule log on Christmas. It is. And then we get a, we, we get to meet Peter riding his bike around in New York City. To the airport. Yeah, and he's the kind of asshole that rides in the middle of the fucking street during heavy traffic. And he's also wearing, uh, you know, the traditional biker weird clothes. Not not the current biker weird clothes, which is just like ball-hugging spandex, but still, 1970s weird biker clothes. His neon blue tracksuit? Yep. Yeah, yeah, he rides his bike to the airport and meets his driver. And is like, take my bike, I'll take my luggage, I'm going to Rome, goodbye. And he's summoned to the information desk as soon as he goes in. And this dumbass just leaves his bag unattended while he goes to take a phone call. That's a terrible idea. Also, they have like a call, like, flights to Palm Springs. Like, who the fuck is flying to Palm Springs via airplane? Yeah. You have to get a connection. I, it, does Palm Springs even have an airport? I think it has, like, one of those little airports like Pueblo has. It's just, like, <laughs> not really an airport. I thought you had to fly into Ontario and rent a car to get to Palm Springs. That's, yeah, that's what I thought, or something. <laughs> Apparently there, there's an airport in Palm Springs. I, I guess so. But I mean, they do have that... that uh, they have the Air Museum airfield out by, uh, in Cabazon. That's close. Yeah, I've been there, because my, uh, my parents used to live there for a while. In oh, Cabazon, not at the museum. Yeah, <laughs> my parents used to live at the museum. But anyway, yes. so Peter goes to take this phone call, and it's from his estranged fiancé? Uh, yes, I think that is their really, their relationship. Because it ain't a healthy relationship, but he still refers to her as like, oh, it's my fiancé. Yeah, it's kind of toxic. Yeah. But Jane, you know, he's like, I know I haven't seen you for six weeks, and I'm not going to see you because I'm going to Rome. Fuck off. And we we get to see Jane, little Miss Red Herring. Yeah. That does something with his bag at the airport. And I mean, she is important to the plot. But not in the way uh, we thought. No. And then we get to, to we go to see Rome. We have this young woman. She's in a department store browsing around, and she does a terrible job at shoplifting a copy of Tenebrae. And so, you know, of course she stopped by security, and she makes this big Karen scene, you know. Right. 
and her dubbing is terrible. <laughs> they pull her into the office and they're like, oh, God, you got 12 convictions for shoplifting. You're going to jail. And so she's like, well, maybe you can fuck me, okay? Uh, here's my address. Come by for later for sex. Elsa Manny, 12 convictions for shoplifting. You should have learned by now. Okay, listen. We can make a deal. It was just a paperback, for Christ's sake. I'll give you my address. For later, I mean. Anytime. Come on, give me a break. You're not gay, are you? Where do you live? Here, in Rome. Number 14, Via della Camene. Via delle Camene. <laughs> okay. Thanks. So... This is such an interesting character because she's a kleptomaniac. She has to be if she's just randomly stealing like paperbacks. Yeah. That's also willing to uh, prostitute herself instead of paying the dollar and a fifty that the paperback would have cost. Yeah, that's and, a that's a low rate you're offering yourself. And the security guard is like, I don't know, and she's like, You're not gay, are you? Okay, I'll go over to your address later once I get off work. <laughs> Also, how does a random security have, like, the police history of this person, like, instantaneously? I don't know. But she gets, uh, Elsa is her name, not Anna. Anna's the name of the actress. Elsa's the character. Um, Elsa. you're saying she should just let it go? Yeah, she should have just let it go. Just pay the 150 for the book, Elsa. She gets dropped off in her neighborhood and she starts to walk home. And then this disgusting-ass homeless man jumps out and tries to rape her. With a, a shocking level of vigor. Oh, yeah. He's just like, come here! And just jumps out. And Elsa fights him off, kicks him in the nuts. And he's like, I'm gonna kill you, bitch! And he chases her to her apartment. He's smashing on the windows. She's got yeah. a very fantastic, like, condo. But apparently it's not a very nice area. No, apparently there's just rapists living in the street. Homeless rapists with a lot of, like, zombie-esque determination to, to do their raping. There's a lot of things with determination in this movie, though. And in, the, and in our bonus feature, too. Yeah, so uh, Elsa figures she's safe. She starts to take a shower, but then she decides she needs to call somebody on the phone. And rape hobo is still slamming on her window. Her window. Yep. And then we get our gloved killer that jumps out and murders her, screaming "dirty little thief" at her. Dario Argento's hands for the killer, of course. And we saw POV of this person in the store. He had yes. seen them. They they'd seen Elsa taking the the book, and that's actually how they kill Elsa: just stuffing the pages from the book in her mouth. Yep. And and slitting her throat. Yeah, I mean that too. And then we get to the airport as Peter's arriving, and we get to meet his his agent, John Saxon, his Bullmore, with this wonderful hat. He is. He is the hat daddy. Yeah. And he's there to meet Peter, and he takes Peter to a, like an interview at the airport bar. And at first, Peter's like super friendly with this, this um, reporter. Like they know each other. Her name's Tilda and everything. Yep. And then, during the interview, she totally turns on him. She's like, Tenebrae is a sexist novel. Why do you despise women? Male heroes with their hairy macho bullshit. And, and you know, the agent gets up and intervenes and is like, Oh, look, it's time to go. Arrivederci. 
Yeah, and this this woman's known him for ten years. Like, yeah, and then she this just this just feels like uh, someone trying to to clickbaity in nineteen seventy two. Yeah, like maybe she used to work for a respectable thing, but now she's stuck working for BuzzFeed. Yeah, she's she's working for a Gawker Media Group, and it's just like yeah. she's writing for Jezebel. Bulmer tries to play it off to him, and he says, "Quote." Those dykes want your balls because they haven't got their own. And I'm like... Which, while offensive, also kind of clever. He's like, whoa, hat daddy. (laughs) Uncalled for. And this is when he shows off his hat. He's like, look, look at my great hat. Look how well it stays on my head. And he shakes his head around. He's like, I love this hat. Those dykes want your balls because they haven't got their own. What is that? The hat you mean? Found in the shop there in Rome. Nice, huh? It suits me. Isn't it warm? Oh, try it. No, 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 no. Doesn't it drop off? Drop off? Yeah, I mean, if you make a quick movement, won't it slip off? Look. That's a mirror. Drop off. It is interesting, though, to think about, like, because the book itself is kind of like a slasher novel, right? I mean, it's it's a giallo within a giallo, right? So. And there is arguably some latent sexism to sl- the slasher genre in and itself. Oh, yeah, definitely. Some, uh, sometimes intentional, most of the time just subconscious. Just that's become ingrained into the fabric of the genre. And some play with that those tropes and stuff like that. But, I mean, given the, the very specific pattern that those kind of stories follow, it does make sense. I'm not convinced she needs to be so aggressive about it. Though, again, this is what this came out in what nineteen eighty two. Eighty two, yeah. So the genre has been around for a while, like slasher films. Oh yeah, this was at the end of the giallo and well into the slasher era. So I mean, by this point, everybody knows the tropes, right? And so he's just kind of writing. Okay, I'm I'm, I'm just going to say he's a hack, right? Like <laughs> he is. He's just writing you know, genre fiction. And he's following the traditional structure of those stories. Yeah, my notes so being notes, a little aggressive about just, you know, genre writing. My notes refer to him as Dean Koontz. Yeah, basically. Right. So I mean he's you know whatever, he's a genre writer and he's he's kind of a hack and I'm not sure he's the kind of guy you need to berate about the tropes that are inherent to the genre. He's just kind yeah. of doing what sells um but he does ask like hey who was that weird looking gay dude in the bar and bulmer's like oh that's cristiano berti he's a book reviewer for channel one tv so i'm like oh um i guess at this time tv stations employed in-house book critics i mean that is interesting maybe in italy yeah and he's like you're gonna go interview with him on like wednesday or whatever Cristiano Berti, by the way, is played by John Steiner, did a lot of exploitation in horror films, uh, Deported Women of the SS Special Section, sounds like a particularly nice bit of Nazi exploitation. Yep, when we finally buckle down and hit that genre. Well, last time we kind of cheated out by doing Nazi zombies. That's true. And he's also in Your Hunter of the Future and Night of the Sharks. And then we get to meet uh, Peter, the rest of Peter's staff. We get his his driver and like the agent's intern, basically. Yeah. Twinkie Gianni. Yeah. He's a yeah. cutie. 
<laughs> he looked like your type. Yep. And he's nebbish. He is he is definitely nebbish. With his, his tight jeans and his Argyle sweaters. I think you would have uh, early eighties Italy seems like the place for you. Yeah. Because I think that was the fashion at the time. And we also meet Peter's secretary, mm-hmm. Anne, played by Mrs. Dario Argento at the time. And it's an assistant this time rather than a reporter. She's not playing the reporter this time. Yeah. And Peter's like, oh, hey, Anne, I bought you this present. And he opens up his luggage. And that red herring woman vandalized it all and broke everything. Yep. And so they, they're like, oh, well, let's go to my – his fancy – they've rented an apartment for him. And they go to the apartment, and the police are already waiting in his apartment. We get Captain Germani of the Homicide Squad, as well as his female inspector, Altieri. And they're like, oh, hey, Peter, a woman was killed five hours ago that tried to shoplift your book. Do you know anything about this? And he's like, I only landed in Rome like 20 minutes ago. Why the fuck would I know anything about this? It's, it is, I mean, I guess you, you try to cover all of your bases, but that's a real tenuous lead to go, well, it was his book, so he must have done it, or known something about it. <laughs> yeah, do you know anything? And he's like, I don't, I, and I like the part where Anne is making drinks, she's like, oh. I'd offer you something harder, but you don't drink on duty, right? Uh, I only drink on duty. Hmm? A scotch, please, straight up. Okay. <laughs> I mean, that's fair. And they're like, oh, Mr. Neal, do you have an alibi? He's like, yes, I was on a fucking airplane. <laughs> this is called We Have Absolutely No Leads. Let's just throw it at the wall and see what sticks. And he's like, well, if somebody was killed with a Smith & Wesson revolver, do you go and question the president of Smith & Wesson? Like, the fuck Good was point. wrong with you, detectives? Start a little closer to home. And they're like, oh, okay, well, somebody dropped a note off of uh, your apartment, which is just a quote from the book, which is like a ransom letter. It is It is addressed to him, to be fair. Yeah. And he's like, okay, maybe that's the lead, but I also don't know shit, so okay. <laughs> yeah, he doesn't know shit, but apparently what whoever is doing this does want his attention. And he's like... Well, since you police are here, somebody vandalized my travel bag at the airport in New York. Like, that's just about as dumb. <laughs> yeah. And while they're doing this, he gets a call from a voice. thats It's, it's a really feminine voice that's just quoting passages from the book. And it's like, I can see you in your apartment looking out at me. Hello, Peter Neal speaking. Not anxiety or fear, but freedom. You wrote those words. Page 46. Freedom to strike again. Peter Listen, Neal. don't hang up. We have to talk. You told me how, Peter Neal. You and me together. We've just begun. Who's up there with you? I can see a woman. That's your girlfriend. Maybe she should be next. But I've got other plans. You like them. Just wait and see. Now listen, we should meet. Maybe I could talk to you. You know, explain about the books. You need some Neal. You can count on it. The girl you killed today, she was... Captain Germani and his, you know, the other detective, Altieri, yeah. they, they don't make it in time to catch the mystery caller at the phone booth outside. Then we get our first dream sequence. We get this woman that's acting really sexy on a beach for a bunch of dudes. I was worried we had stumbled back into a banding in America. Oh, it has that vibe. This actress, her name is Eva Robbins. 
Robins is spelled with an apostrophe S. That's how her name is spelled. Yes. She is a transgender actress, model, and activist. Never would have guessed. No, she's beautiful. Yep. And, you know, she seduces these men and leads them down on the beach as his dream music is playing. She shows off her breasts and everything. And she's going to take three of these guys, but when the fourth comes up, she's like, no, no, thumbs down. And the fourth one doesn't like it, so he slaps her across the face, and the other dudes chase him down, and she, um, she comes up and spits on him and, like, puts the heel of her shoe in his mouth. Step on me, mommy. Yeah, and I put, like, really bizarre dream. Who had that? So, uh, some, some men pay good money for that. Yeah. But uh, this one, not so happy about it. And so then we go to catch back up with the reporter, Tilda. She's at the bar with her girlfriend. Yes. Uh, but they have an open relationship. Yes, though Tilda doesn't seem super happy about this. Her girlfriend's like, hey, I'm going to go with that man tonight. I'll meet you back at home later. Tilda's like, remember, no ties. You don't have to rub my face in it. Oh, no, not your face, honey. Not tonight. And yeah, her. Her girlfriend is name apparently is there, but I don't know it. I couldn't get it, her name either. Uh, she's not very nice. And Tilda returns home later to her boxy as fuck mansion. Yeah. Her mansion looks like a big ass stack of boxes. And it is very large. They have this huge house. And the girlfriend, she's being absolutely horrible. She's walking around all naked. She's completely shit-faced. Oh, Obviously, yeah. she had fucked that guy and sent him on his way. Yeah, until Tilda calls her a cheap little hooker, and the girlfriend's like, Oh, he was terrific. He made you look pathetic when we made love. He eats pussy better than you, Tilda. <laughs> and Tilda's very, very upset. But Rightfully so. Tilda? Are you coming up? Get lost. Come on. You cheap little hooker. I wouldn't come near you right now if my life depended on it. You make me sick. I've drunk too much. I'm going to throw up. If you have to, go some other place to do it. I feel sick. Go call your pimp to look after you. All right. You want to know what happened? He was terrific. He made you look pathetic when we made love. For a start, he... <laughs> and uh, the girlfriend goes up to, like, I don't know, not get dressed, just, just to put on music. To blast some goblin really loud. Yeah, and then when uh, Tilda goes out to look at the wind chimes that tinkle, we get uh, the crane shot. It is... <sighs> It's a point where you could go take a smoke break if you it want. It is extremely long. It's kind of cool, but it is a bit too much filler. It's actually only two and a half minutes, but it feels like ten. It took them three days to set up this shot. Why, why, I mean, why do they need to go through like every single inch of the house? Yeah, it's all from the exterior, but sometimes it kind of goes in a little bit. It goes around the, like, entire fucking house. We see every crack. We see every fucking roof shingle. Like I said, there are some... I mean, it's definitely an interesting shot, but it's it's just too long. Oh, yeah. It goes on forever. And then, uh, 
Tilda starts to change her shirt, and uh, this killer runs up screaming, Pervert! Filthy, slimy pervert! And kills her. And upstairs, the girlfriend, she turns off the movie soundtrack when she hears something. <laughs> right. She's blasting that goblin soundtrack. <laughs> she stops the record and goes downstairs. And yeah, the killer slashes her up and like impales her on glass that they have in their hallway. Yeah. Yeah, and then we get to see the killer's workshop where he's he's developing pictures of these women and has like um, 50 copies of Tenebrae. I'm like, yeah, I guess it would make sense you'd have to develop your own photos if you're taking photographs of murder people you murdered. Yeah. And then we get to meet Peter's landlord and his his daughter Maria. Um his cute little daughter Maria is asking yeah. for 5000 lira. Which is not much money. No. I had to go, and it's a difficult conversion because Lyra doesn't exist anymore. Right. I had to do. I did this for our other movie because they were talking about a certain amount. It's not much. <laughs> it's like twenty bucks. Yeah. And so she's the dad's like, okay, here's your five thousand lira. <laughs> Sounds like so much money, but it really isn't. But go to the apartment that the that we own that that Peter's renting and turn the water on. Um. I swear I've seen her before, but apparently I really haven't. That's uh, That was my thought, too. She's in Joe D'Amato's Killing Birds, but like I don't fucking remember that movie that well. We did watch it, but I, you're right, I don't remember it that well either. Yeah, and Anne arrives at the house and is like, oh, Peter, you got this girl, you know, just as Maria's leaving. And Peter's like, oh, that's jailbait. I, 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 that ain't me. Yeah, not touching that. And, um... They they get a new note from the killer that says, Sick transit Gloria Lesby. So passes the glory of Lesbos. And they're informed that Tildy and her girlfriend are killed. Also, outside, the Mario brothers show up. Oh, yeah. They don't do much, though. But, yeah, they're there. They literally look like the Mario brothers. They got the overalls and the shirt. Yeah. And uh, the the most interesting thing, though, is that the killer had just placed the note before the Mario Brothers showed up, and the killer goes to hide, rather than just like, oh, he's a... Cause if, so which indicates to me that they might be someone famous, someone that these two random utility people might recognize. Because otherwise, they would just be another person in a hotel hallway. And and even though we we know who the killer is since we've seen the movie, I don't think these plumbers would have recognized him. You don't think they would have uh, been no. privy to their uh, <laughs> their work? No, I don't think they would. I don't even think these uh, plumbers are literate. <laughs> Maybe, but the killer did not want to take that risk. Yep. So Peter goes to interview with the flamboyant Cristiano, and Bulma's there. And he, he, there's a moment where he takes his hat off inside and he doesn't know where to put it and he puts it on this cart. And then later somebody tries to push the cart away and he's like, no, my hat. I know. <laughs> Daddy Saxon loves his hat. Yeah. And Cristiano does like a pre-interview interview before they go into the studio. And he's like, Tenebrae is about the human perversion and its effects on societies. How do you see the effect of deviant behavior on our lives, Mr. Neil? And Peter's like, oh, geez, isn't that, like, pretty heavy for an afternoon talk show? Tenebrae is about human perversion and its effects on society. And I'd like to know how you see the effects of deviant behavior on our lives. Well, first of all, 
it isn't just about that. Two of the victims are deviants. Now, wait a minute. Wait the a killer minute. is trying... Wait a minute. Who says they're deviants? Oh, well, one one is gay, but so what? I mean, he's portrayed as perfectly happy. In fact, his relationship the with... The killer's motivation is to eliminate what he calls corruption. Now, the killer is insane. Now, what I mean by that is that... Uh, uh, the, 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 the only aberrant behavior. Ah, what is aberrant behavior? <laughs> I was brought up a very strict Catholic, were you? Yeah, I guess so. But I believe in abortion. I believe in divorce. That makes me aberrant from a strictly Catholic standpoint. I see. I uh, thought this was an afternoon show. You really want us to get this heavy? Well, I guess not. He's like, isn't... And, and I'm thinking, it's like, I'm just a hack. There's no theme to this book. Yeah. And so they go in to do the interview on camera, which we don't get to see, actually. Death of the author, right? Yeah. We go back to the apartment where Maria has brought a typewriter, even though Anne has also brought a typewriter. Yep. So he's got two typewriters now. And Gianni flirts with Maria. I mean, they're the same cohort, after all. That's fine. I was going to say they're roughly the same age. Yeah, she's got her cute yellow top and her pink skirt. But she leaves with her uh, her motorcycle boyfriend. And we get a cutaway of the killer like going through the photos and like their, their detailed research on the victims. Their annotated copies of Tenebrae. Yeah. And they're out there to, to pick up a whore that they've taken pictures of. Which the killer doesn't actually kill this woman. Right, yeah. Yeah, just kind of stalks her. Because nearby, Maria is breaking up with her motorcycle boyfriend, telling him to go fuck him, fuck yourself. Yeah, I wonder what happened there. Yeah, and Maria lives like, apparently she's got to walk through the red light district to get home. Well, I mean, yeah, I don't even, I don't even know. She walks through some, like, terrible areas, and where she ends up is super rich. Yeah, well... She does walk past a place that has a dog uh, that starts barking at her, and it's got like this, I don't know, eight-foot fence? That doesn't stop fucking the greatest dog in cinema history here. Jesus Christ, this is the most fucking persistent dog in the history of all time. It is. Dog climbs the fence and chases her, like, halfway through Rome. Yeah, like... And, like, lays siege to her hiding place. Um, chases her through a park, biting at her, hopping over walls, climbing fences. Plenty of upskirt panty shots of this girl, though. Yeah. Um, she hits the dog, climbs another fence, dog chases her down. She ends up at this beautiful fucking mansion, calling out for help, and the dog is there, so she, she breaks into the mansion to get away from this fucking hound of the Baskervilles. Yeah, I don't know what the fuck's up with this dog. <laughs> she starts... She realizes that she's in the killer's workshop. How about that? What a coincidence. What a coincidence. And so she just decides to, to pick up all the evidence and take it, and then dog's fucking at the window trying to get in. <laughs> Yes, laid siege to this house. Like, she can't leave this house because Murder Dog is out there. Which, unfortunately for Maria, the killer comes home, calls her a spy, and and axes her. Yep, she, he, he axes her a question. It's interesting because she's not connected to the characters that have died. Right. That apparently this killer is killing people that they view as deviant. 
which does not include her. However, oh, uh, she, she had seen his shit. Yeah, so she had to go. Right. And then there's a person with a lawnmower that doesn't mind running over the pictures of murders, but stops at the dead body. Yeah. Like, they couldn't see this dead body until the lawnmower bumped it. Feels like if they did that movie today, it would be some, like, teenage kid with some headphones, like, bopping along with some Taylor Swift or shit. It's the, uh, it's every cold open to a Law & Order episode. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it is. Because that's always, every Law & Order episode, you have a couple people that are doing some shit, and they're like, Oh no, a dead body! Now, if you're playing along with the Who's the Killer game, we now know that the killer is, is wealthy. Yes. It eliminates a lot of the people we've seen so far in the movie. And so, it would have a, 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 a big mansion in this part of Italy. And so Peter and the detective are there, and they, there's like another new message for Peter that threatens him personally. And Germani brings up, he's like, oh, hey, I finished your novel, Tenebrae. I guessed the killer on page 30. Yeah, and it and he had established before that he has read all of the all of this detective fiction throughout history. He never figures out the killer. Yeah, he's like, I never. I'm like, I don't think that's a compliment. <laughs> and then, uh, so Peter, Anne, and Gianni, they're doing like a sleepover to deduce the killer on their own. And, you know, they're connecting statements about this and that. And Gianni is all smiles. With his fucking Argyle sweater and his skinny jeans. He's just like smiling, face in his his hands, you know? He's he's part of he's part of something. Yeah. Then uh Anne happens to see Red Herring Woman outside, but we'll get to that later. Yep. She she's a little too obvious. Yeah. Because Peter and Gianni go to investigate, uh they they're they're like, we gotta go look into this Cristiano. He might be the killer. And Gianni's like, "Oh, goody, goody, we can go do detective shit. Yeah. <laughs> but then he's like, oh, surveillance is boring. And Peter's like, yeah, surveillance is 90% of detective work, though. Like, it kind of depends on, on how you view it. Like, if you feel that the, the surveillance is part of the whole game of, uh, of investigation, then you probably don't find it boring. Yeah. And so, they're going to the house. We know this house. Yeah. It's the house where Maria got killed. Cristiano's obviously the killer. Right. And before, Or is he? Well, somebody goes in there and kills Cristiano, axes him in the head. As Cristiano goes, yes, it was me. I killed them. Right, but we don't know who says that in this particular scene when we see it. No, we don't. Yet. Uh, Gianni sees it, but he doesn't have time to process... <laughs> yeah. What just happened before some uh, shit goes down and he's got to get the fuck out of Dodge. Yeah, once he sees this dude being axed, he's like, oh, okay, get out of here. And Peter's just on the ground with like, oh, my head's bleeding. I fell on a rock. What, what did I miss? That's called a concussion, sir. People are suggesting that Peter go back to New York and he's like, no, you need me. There's a mystery here and I'm a mystery novelist. And then, uh, Anne decides to just go ahead and cut through their sexual tension. They start kissing, and she's like, I'm going to spend the night, but, yeah, no strings. Right. We gotta, we just gotta fuck this one out. Yeah. Like, we'll fuck it out, but I'm still sleeping on the couch. Yeah, it's interesting, because they obviously 
have a thing for each other. They've but never done anything because of the ex-fiance. Yeah. But then uh we get another dream sequence that night where we have our dream girl at some sort of party and a POV killer comes out of the bushes and stabs her to death. Yep. And that's that. And the next morning, Anne wakes up. She's like, where's Peter? Well, Peter's with his agent. And Peter's like, okay, I'm going to go lay low for a while. I'm going to take this flight out to London today, okay? And the agent's like, oh, but we have million-dollar interviews. And then when Peter leaves, we realize Bulmer has a secret room where he's hiding Peter's fiance. <laughs> dun, dun, dun. And they're all in love, and they're like... You know, Jane's like, I think he knows about us. You know, love, but let's go have lunch today. You know, they're a happy couple. It's like, but why, why, why would he care anyway? He's busy fucking his secretary. <laughs> Meanwhile, Peter and Gianni, they're going to go back to Christiana's house to like, look for clues and try to remember. Yeah, Gianni, Gianni has a, a hunch he missed something. Yeah, but Gianni, Gianni also has PTSD and... Fucking causes car accidents blazing through stop signs. True, but he has the drive to try to figure out what the hell. <laughs> yeah. What the hell went down. And the detective is there, and they have this, uh, you know, Peter and the detective have this conversation about the killer, and that's when Peter brings up, like, oh, there's this quote from this Conan Doyle novel. When you've eliminated the impossible, whatever remains, no matter however improbable, must be the truth. My boy Sherlock Holmes drop, dropping facts. Yeah. It's not from Hound of the Baskervilles, though. Yeah. I, 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 didn't, I didn't think it. I didn't track with me. I'm like, no, I don't think it was in that one. No. Well, the trivia page on IMDb said where it's from. I don't remember where, other than it was specifically pointing out that it was not from Hound of the Baskervilles. But Hound of the Baskervilles works because we had that fucking dog. Right. Also, I mean, it's a Sherlock Holmes story. Close enough. I mean, Sherlock Holmes, that is a Sherlock Holmes bit. Is it from Studying in Scarlet? It might be. I don't know. Well, now I gotta Google this. Here, well, since I already have the quote. It's out of the four. Oh, thank you. How'd, how'd you get it so fast? My Google Foo is strong. <laughs> Your Google Foo is stronger than mine. I just typed the quote in. It came up. So it's from Sign of the Four? Yep, I knew it was one of the earlier ones, but I couldn't remember if it was the first one, which was Studying Scarlet. I think Side of the Four is the second second uh, Sherlock Holmes story. Could be wrong, but I think it is. Yep. So anyway, we get Jane, who she she's going back to her house before her lunch date with uh, Hat Daddy. It was the second novel featuring Sherlock Holmes. Ha <laughs> ha! Nailed it. Nailed it. But so not not that too far removed from my. <laughs> My Sherlock. I've read. I've read every single Sherlock Holmes story. But it's been a while. So anyway, Jane goes home, and uh, she's been gifted these red shoes that are the same red shoes that the Dream Girl was wearing. Yep. And then we go to to Bulmer waiting for her at lunch in this plaza, and yeah, there's some intense killer POV. And yep. as Bulmer waits patiently on this bench, there's all kinds of shit going on around him. There's people arguing by a fountain. There's people arguing at a cafe. There's some kid playing with a ball. And we focus on all of that. Yep. Before Bulmer's like, okay, I'm done. I'm going to go now. And as soon as he gets up, somebody kills him. Yep, gives him the old stabby stabby. Yeah, and then goes away. Just broad daylight in the middle of a fucking plaza. 
I guess all the other stuff we had to see is that everybody's so distracted that they didn't see this. Right. And has some flight leaves, you know, they take Peter to the airport and he, he, a plane leaves. Gianni goes back to Cristiano's house and that's where he makes the connection that like, oh, it was Cristiano that said he murdered them. But then who murdered Cristiano? Right. So we have the original killer was Cristiano, but now we have another killer. Yeah, this movie changes killers halfway through. Yes, which I loved. I'm like, ooh, the plot thickens. Now we have a, a, a good third act where it's like, we have a killer of a killer, but why? What's going on? Yeah, and so when Gianni goes back to his car, the killer kills him. Our new killer. Yes, killer too. Strangles Johnny from behind the car, and then goes and takes a hidden axe from a tree. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Meanwhile, uh, Jane... You know, she's decided to call for Peter, and she's like, I did something, and I, I'm, I'm crazy, I'm, I'm, I'm a bad person, I have a gun, please send somebody to help me. And Anne's like, I'll I'll go meet with you, Jane. Okay, so now we're like, oh, now Jane is the killer. Jane's changed set, uh, hat daddy. Yeah, and she's in her house, and there's rainstorm knocking at windows, causing jump scares. And then... Alright, this kill. This is why this movie's one of the video nasties, by the way. <laughs> this is a this is a, this is a, this is a, a powerful one. Yeah, so the uh the killer just acts right through the window, chops off Anne's hand, and she just sprays blood all over this goddamn wall before the killer catches up and just axes her a bunch and bunch of times. And that's when Anne arrives. So the killer shuts off the light and hides. Somebody opens the door and the, the killer just axes the fuck out of him. And we tilt up to reveal that the killer is Peter. Yep. And he's like, oh no, I killed Anne. Oh no. And then Detective Germani arrives with Anne. Right. And Peter's like, oh shit, who, who did I kill? Oh, it was the other detective. Yeah, Altieri had, uh, oh yeah, we missed the scene where they had, they had brought in the, um... Yeah, they brought in Bulmer's housekeeper. Yeah, the Filipino woman. And apparently, uh, Altieri speaks Spanish. Yeah, and they they learned that, uh, um, Hat Daddy was having an affair with Jane. And so the detective is like, When you have eliminated the impossible, all that remains is the, you know... Right, and obviously, suddenly having your head bashed in with a rock and not being dead at the killer's house looked a little sus, didn't it? Yeah, and he's like, this was your plan to murder Bulmer and Jane, your fiancé, and have it seem like the killer did it, since nobody knew who the killer was yet. Right, and obviously he didn't like, oh, I'm going to... He didn't like, okay, I know about this killer, uh, I'm going to totally, you know, from the beginning... The killer started doing his killing things, and uh, that triggered a little bit of a uh, little bit of memory. Yeah, in Peter, um, because Peter's first victim was the girl in the dreams. Yeah, she uh, the one that that cucked him real good. Yeah, and you know the detective's pointing out that like he wrote about it in his book. Now he realized that any obstacle or humiliation standing in his way could be website with the simple act of annihilation, murder. Um, Peter decides to take the coward's way out and just cut his throat with this razor. But then when the detective goes back in, Peter's gone, 
and we realize that the razor is like fake. Yeah. Has a little thing in there that squirts fake blood out. Yeah. And Peter didn't leave, though. He's still there. He kills Germani. And a very nice shot. Oh, yeah, it is. When Germani, like, bends down to get something, we see Peter there. And they, like, like line up perfectly, so when he stands back up, you can't see him again. Yeah. It's a good shot. So Anne goes back in to see what's going on. Peter's, like, ready to kill. He's, like, at the door with the axe, waiting for Anne to open it. And when Anne opens the door, this fucking, like, sculpture falls down and kills Peter. It just impales him. It's this sculpture of spikes that happens to be, like, right in front of the fucking door. And and Peter's just, like, blood-foaming rage, trying to, like, run up like a boar hit with a spear. Like, to... Yeah, he's impaled by this sculpture. And Anne just screams and screams and screams. Peter dies, and that's the movie. And that scream that Daria Nicoletti has here, mm-hmm. that's what inspired her daughter to become an actress. Wow. That's what Asia Argento says, like, that scene is what inspired her. It's a pretty intense ending. So, yeah, it's a really... So, did you know that this was a post-apocalyptic movie? No. <laughs> Dario Argento has said that this this story takes place um, after an apocalyptic event killed half of the population of the world. Wait. What? Yeah. That's why everybody got fucking nice houses. Everybody dead. You could just move into any house you want, I guess. Oh. <laughs> Wait, so it's, this takes place after Endgame? After uh, Infinity War? Yeah, it takes place during the snap. This, <laughs> the, is, the, the blip. this is this is part of the Marvel cinematic. Yeah, like, half of the world was killed in a post-apocalyptic movie, but nobody ever talks about that. That's the most, that might be the most bizarre bit of trivia I think I could possibly imagine for this movie. And so the this movie has much harsher cinematography than other Argento films. Yeah. Because two reasons. One, uh, Argento had just seen the movie Possession. Oh, okay. Which we did, episode 84. Yeah. And he's like, ooh, I want that harsh cinematography. But he also wanted this movie to look like a police procedural. It, it, it does. It does. So where do you put we were, this? We were joking about the whole... Uh... Cold, cold opening to every. Yeah, yeah, but yeah, we do get that. I feel like the protagonist should have been played by Sam Neill, incidentally. Oh yeah, should have been Sam Neill. I mean, that would have worked perfectly, right? Yeah, and um, oh, the detective should have been played by a fucking uh, what's his name? The one that passed away that was in like eight hundred seasons of Law and Order. Oh, (laughs) Uh, the guy that voiced Lumiere in Beauty and the Beast. Yeah, I can't remember that guy's name, but I know who you're talking about. Oh, God, now, now it's going to haunt me. Jerry Orbach. Yeah, Jerry Orbach, that's right. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but I definitely think Sam Neill would have been perfect. Sam Neill, that's a Sam Neill character, right? Oh, yeah, because he's, he's not a nice person. and No, but he's a guy that you can like buy as like a protagonist. Yeah, and... He probably tears out his eyes and tells you... Where we're going, we don't need eyes. And yeah, oh, Sam Neill does crazy awesome. We know this. Yep. So where do you put this with the coffee? This is a very succulent coffee. I love this movie. I have, I only have one very minor problem with it, and that's I don't think that Peter Neal would give two shits about his ex fiance hooking up with his agent. 
Yeah. But I, but I think the, the PTSD from killing that first girl may have just overwhelmed any sort of sense of normal thought process. Small, very small thing. But yes, this is very second coffee. I like this one better than Deep Red. I like the dual layer to the killer. This is I the- like that you're trying to guess the killer... And then it's like, okay, I got that one, but now there's another one? Who could the second one be? I like that. Yeah. Yeah, this is that, like, really, really good coffee that you have to buy online for, like, 50 bucks a bag. The kind that got pooped out of, like, a, a goat in the Andes. <laughs> it's, like, the most expensive coffee in the world. Yes, our, our, our coffee plants are fertilized with fresh goat. You've seen those coffee beans, right? No, but I, I, I think like I've that. heard of them, like, that are... Yeah, passed through a goat's digestive system. Yeah, very bizarre. But no, this is very, this is very, this is a very good movie. This is the uh, movie that has passed through a goat's digestive system. That's right. That they would not put that on the back of the box. Um, no, it's uh, it's it's interesting because I love detective like stories and I love slasher films. And one of the fun things about Giallo is I get to just kind of mix the two, and uh, it's lovely. Yeah. So our second movie this week is from another notable director. We're doing Lucio Fulci's Don't Torture a Duckling. Not not a zombie movie. Not a zombie movie. And not not like about Apocalypse, which Fulci did a bunch of those too. No. This no. one is uh this one is almost like well, we'll talk about it when we get there. Well, it's a murder mystery. It is. This is a it, this is a film. Yeah, and it is good. I will I will say that, but it is uh, it's a heavy one. That's going to be our second episode for the week, so stay tuned. And next week is Mockbusters, a little bit uh, softer, a little bit less intense material. Well, yeah we we've started this year off with nothing but bangers. Next week yep. that kind of kind of stops. Yeah, we got a we got a palate cleanse with some with some shit next week with some cheesy stuff. All right, we will catch you then, everybody. Good night.